per year because that's how much they think you're worth. Or your life insurance company. If you're to die while you still have a policy with them, they're gonna pay out X amount to your family because to them, that's how much you're worth. Or if you wanna figure out your net worth, you can take everything you owe, you own, sorry, and then subtract everything that you owe. There you go. There's your worth, right? But there are other ways, and I think better ways, to ask your worth because much more important than money and how much you have, much more important than that is the relationships that you have with other people. So you could ask, how much are you worth to your family or your friends or to your neighbors or to your city? Or another way to ask the question would be, if you were all of a sudden, poof, gone, how big of a hole would you leave in this world? How much are you worth? Now, our world is quick to give us supposed encouragement in this. Because there's all sorts of words of affirmation saying things like, you are important. You are special. You are valuable. You matter. No matter who you are or what you've done or what you will do, you matter. And that's great, right? But, but, but what about when, what about when you're in school and you're bullied or you're mistreated and out of all the people in your class, no one is willing to stand up for you? Like to them, you're not worth anything. Or what about when you graduate school and you go get a job or you move locations or you move employers and, and you look around and Everyone in your former life, like, they don't talk to you anymore. You left school, no one calls, no one texts. Seems they weren't as good of friends as you thought they were. Because once you were no longer in proximity to them, once you're no longer there and it's not really convenient for them to reach out to you, they don't. Doesn't seem you're worth as much as you thought you were to them. Or maybe you're, you're at work. And you see other people talking together, but no one ever comes by you and just says, hey, how are you doing today? Or you're on your way home from work and there's tens of thousands of cars on the road and no one's paying attention to you. You're just another car. The only way they notice you is if they honk at you because you're driving too slow. And then you get home and the people at home, like, they don't really seem to care much about you. They're more concerned about what's on their phone than they're concerned about you. Or maybe you get home and you're the only one who lives there. So how valuable does that make you feel? Or maybe you're at home all day with other people or you're alone and like, it doesn't make you feel great. No one ever comes calling. No one ever reaches out, it seems. It doesn't even seem like you really exist. How much are you worth? There's conflicting messages here, right? The world will say, you're valuable, you're special, you matter just because you're you, but then all these other things. So what gives? How much are you worth? Are you worth a lot? Or are you kind of just worthless? Just another person in the world. It's hard to feel valuable, worth anything 
And it's especially hard when the whole time, your whole life, when you've been in slavery. Now, slavery, thankfully, has been illegal in this country for over a century and a half. But it still happens. It still happens illegally in this country. Maybe you hear of it most prominently in sex trafficking. And it happens all over the world, legally and illegally. It's estimated that this very day, 40 million people in the world would fit under the definition of a slave. They're forced to work. They're owned by someone else. And they're not allowed to leave. They're not allowed to escape. And there's a ton of horrible, horrible things about slavery. And one of them it, what it, is what it does to your sense of worth. Because how in the world could you have, how in the world could you have value as a person if someone else literally owns you? How could that be? It's hard to feel like you have any worth when you've been in slavery. And God tells us in the Bible that every single one of us, when we were born, we were born into slavery. Slavery to two things. Slavery to sin and slavery to death. Paul, the Apostle Paul said in Romans 7, he said, I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. This is not a screen. He said, this is what he meant. I'm sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Instead, the evil that I do not want to do, this is what I keep on doing. Do you know the feeling that he's talking about? Like when you know something is wrong and you don't want to do it, and then when the opportunity arises or you just, you just do it again and again and again, even though you don't want to, the sin, you, you, it seems you can't not do it. You know that feeling? Maybe, maybe with you it's, it's envy. Like whatever you have, or no matter what your life looks like, it could be the best your life has ever looked, but there's always someone, their life is better, and you're envious. Or maybe, on the other hand, it, it's, it's pride that you seem to always fall into. You can always find a way to look at someone else and say, not they're better, but say, I'm better. They're not as good. Or maybe the thing that you fall into is that you always need to cause drama. You can't live at peace with people. You really struggle to forgive. You have to instead cause problems to happen. You just, it makes life exciting. Or maybe, maybe it's just wasting time. Maybe your habit is just to flip through your phone and you get home at night or during the day and then, oh, I wanted to get all these things done, but there's another evening that I wasted. And yes, wasting time is a sin. Spending leisure time, not a sin, but wasting time, yeah, it's wrong. Sin wants to be our master. It wants to enslave us. It wants to control us. It wants to be, sin wants to be the defining characteristic in our life. The Bible says we were born slaves 
to sin. And since we were slaves to sin, we were also slaves to death because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. In other words, if you sin, what you earn is death. We're slaves to death. And the evidence of this is the old saying that there's only two things in life that are certain, right? Death and taxes. And joke, 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 ha, ha, ha. But it's morbidly true, right? No one, no matter how rich or poor, how popular or unpopular, how healthy or how sick, no matter who you are, you can't escape death. It owns us. It's going to happen to all of us, whether today or many, many years from now. So there's these two things conflicting. How do you find worth when you're slave? You're slave to sin. I can't, I can't not do what I don't want to do. I do it every day. And each day brings me one day closer to death. Life, life as a slave, frankly, looks bleak. And that's what Peter was talking about when he referenced in 1 Peter 1, when he said, the empty way of life handed down from your forefathers. Now he said that because in this letter, he's writing to a group of Gentiles, which just means non-Jewish people. He's writing to a group of Gentiles who they had their ancestral religions that were handed down. And sin and death was a problem for them as well, because their religion, it, it had no answers. And their religion in a general sort of terms was the old ancient Greek and Roman gods and goddesses. Like if you watch the Disney movie Hercules, with Zeus and all those other gods and goddesses. That, that was them. But to sin and death, their religion, it didn't give any answers. It was empty. All it had were stories of gods interacting with each other and interacting with humans. It, it didn't provide any actual answers. And so he said, this empty way of life handed down from your forefathers. And yet, in this spiritually hopeless and empty ancient world, there was hope. Because there was one religion that was far, far different than every other. Because this religion, it centered on the concept of redemption. And redemption means to pay a price for something, or more specifically, for some one. To pay a price. And there was a group of people, Christians, because Christianity is the religion, in the midst of all this other empty religion, they held out hope that their God would pay the price necessary to set them free from what the other religions couldn't do, to pay the price to set them free from sin and death. They thought somehow, they held out hope, somehow, some way, God will pay the price to set me free. And this hope, it had been around in one way or another, since the very beginning of humanity, the beginning of time, even back from Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Because one day, when Adam and Eve plunged themselves into slavery by eating from the forbidden tree, the forbidden fruit, they plunged themselves and all their human descendants into slavery to sin and death by listening to the serpent, listening to the devil. Yet on that very same day, God came and he made a promise. And he said, one day, one day in the future, I'm going to send my son to make the payment that you couldn't. To make the payment to crush the devil. But God also said, in the process, 
of crushing the serpent's head, the devil's head, that Jesus, the Savior, was going to get his heel struck. In other words, he was going to totally defeat the devil, but there was going to be a price that had to be paid. There was a cost. And a few thousand years later, in about A.D. 30, the price was paid. When on a hill outside of Jerusalem, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, allowed himself to be hung on a tree, his blood was shed, and he replaced you. He paid the price. He became a slave to our sin and our death in order to set us free. Peter wrote, It was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold. They're valuable, but they go away. It wasn't with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed, that a price was paid from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. That's good news. Now, if you want to look more into the part at the end about the lamb without blemish or defect, go back and listen to last week's sermon. Last week's service was all about sacrifice, but today is about the good news of payment. Now, there's a movie from 12 years ago. It's called Taken. It stars Liam Neeson. I don't know if you've seen it. It frankly doesn't matter if you haven't seen it because you're going to get this. But in the movie, Liam Neeson's character, he plays a father who has a daughter. And the daughter is taken. She's kidnapped, trafficked, and then she's put on an auction block to be sold as a, a sex slave. And uh, I forced myself to watch the scene this week. I, 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 don't, I can't even recommend that you, it's so hard to watch. It's hard, it's hard to talk about. But the father, he goes in, he sneaks into this auction, and then he sees his daughter come up on the block. And he holds one of the bidders at the auction at gunpoint. He sees her up on the auction block, surrounded by evil people who only want to harm her to serve themselves. And he holds one of the bidders at gunpoint, and, and, and as the bidding is going around and around, he forces the guy to keep bidding higher and higher and higher. And finally the bidding ends, and the guy, he's putting the gun on his shoulder. He buys the daughter for $500,000. He bought his daughter with the bad guy's money. And now he would be able to set her free. How much would you pay for your daughter? And if you don't have one, I don't think it's hard to imagine how much would you pay to set free your daughter who's on the auction block surrounded by evil people who only want to do her unspeakable harm? How much would you pay? 100000 How much would you crowdfund? Who would you ask? 500000 A million? Silly question. You would 
you would pay however much it took. You would pay everything. You, you would probably sell yourself to save your daughter. We have a God. We have a God who looked at his son, who was on the auction block, surrounded by evil people who only wanted to harm him. And you know how much God was willing to pay to set his son free? Nothing. Because he didn't. Because he wanted to set you free. So you have a God who looked at his only, his one and only son and was willing to let him be sold to sin and death to set you free from sin and death. Turns out you were the one and I was the one up on the auction block and the price God was willing to pay, the price that Jesus himself was willing to pay was his own life. That's how much God, so much God was willing to do to set you free. And that's what you are. You're free. Galatians said earlier, we're free from sin. It says, you are no longer a slave, but you're God's own child. Sin can no longer, it does not own us and control us. It is not the defining characteristic of your life. Because the defining characteristic of your identity is the fact that Jesus bought you with his own blood. He set you free from sin and he set you free from death. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though they die. He set you free from sin. He set you free from death. And he paid not silver or gold. He paid himself. He paid with himself. So I ask you again now, what are you worth? How much? I talked with the kids a little bit earlier about houses and homes and buildings. Now, almost across the board, whatever sort of structure you live in, a home or an apartment, if you sold it today or it got sold, it would sell for more money than it cost to actually literally build the structure. Because almost across the board, market value is more than the building cost of almost any building. Because what something is worth is not what it costs to make. What something is worth is determined by how much someone else is willing to pay for it. So if that's true, and it is, then that, you must be worth a lot. You must be worth a whole lot. No matter how many friends or family you have or don't have, no matter how valuable you feel based on the people you know, you must be worth, you must be worth a whole lot. Because Jesus was willing to pay for you his life. So think about that. 
Think about that next time you're feeling worthless or alone or forgotten. Because Jesus came and replaced you on the auction block. He made the payment of his life to set you free, and in doing so, Jesus gave you, he placed on you a value so great that no one, no thing, can ever take it away. Let me pray for us all. Jesus, we were all born slaves to sin and death, and many times it still feels like we are slaves to sin. We fall into sins we know that are wrong. We, we do things that we don't want to do every single day, and we just can't seem to get out of it. And then we also look to find our worth um, in, all, in all the wrong places. We depend on other people to tell us what we're worth, or, or we depend on ourselves to prove our worth, and we end up feeling empty and broken. But you give us a worth that nothing can take away. Not because we're inherently valuable or worth anything, but because you bestowed on us, you declared that this is the worth we have, and the amount of worth we have is based on how much you are willing to pay to buy us. And you were willing to pay with everything. Your life, you were willing to take all of our sins on you and take them away. You were willing to pay, you were willing to give up your, your perfect relationship with your, your Father. You were willing to, to let that be broken, to set us free from slavery to sin and death, to make our identity not as slaves to sin, but to make our identity your brothers and sisters, fellow children of our Father in heaven. Thank you for paying for us, Jesus. And let us always look to you and you alone to find our identity, our value, to find out what we are really worth. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.